Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. The third annual Theology Slam final takes place on Thursday the 18th of March at 7pm. It's organised by the Church Times, SCM Press and the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. The finalists will speak on justice, creativity and community in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. To watch a video of the three finalists introducing themselves, go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash video. And to buy tickets for the live final itself, visit churchtimes.co.uk forward slash events, where you'll find a link. Announcing his budget on Wednesday, the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, said that his measures would protect the lowest paid and most vulnerable, who had been hit particularly hard by the pandemic. On the podcast this week, I talked to the Director of Church Action for Tax Justice, Dr Justin Thacker, about whether the budget lives up to Mr Sunak's claims. He assesses whether the tax measures in the budget will actually generate the revenue needed to help those who are struggling financially, and he asks whether enough has been done to fund areas such as social care and education. Find out more about Church Action for Tax Justice at www.catj.org.uk and you can read our coverage of the budget including reactions from church and charity leaders, in this week's paper and on our website. So Justin, what were you hoping for from this budget before it was announced on Wednesday? Thanks very much for having me on, Ed. It's uh, great to be able to talk with you about these issues. I think I was probably hoping for two things from this budget, uh, one of which the Chancellor to some extent delivered, the other he didn't. Uh, I was hoping that he would uh, continue support for those who are really struggling as a result of the pandemic. Uh, clearly, lots of people have lost their jobs, have lost their sources of income. And I have to say, on those measures, generally speaking, he provided what I would be hoping for. So an extension of the furlough scheme, uh, the universal credit uplift of £20 a week, that continuing. You know, these are appropriate measures we were looking for and he delivered. What I was also hoping for was for the Chancellor to address some of the um, ongoing structural inequalities and causes of poverty uh, that the UK is facing. And those inequalities and those challenges have actually been exacerbated by the pandemic. They've been made worse. And so I was looking for him to make some moves to address them, to create a fairer society. And that, unfortunately, is where he completely failed. He delivered nothing, essentially, to address the structural causes of inequality and poverty within the UK. And that is problematic. Just on the universal credit uplift, um, I mean, a number of people, including the Bishop of Birmingham, the Convener and the Lords, have, have said that it didn't go far enough. It should have been made permanent, not just extended for six months as it was. I mean, do you agree with that stance? Uh, yeah, 100%. I mean, that's actually, you know, one of the issues about the ongoing courses. Fundamentally, I think universal credit should be more generous. And so absolutely, it should have been made a permanent increase. What makes what the chance has done particularly bad is that right at that point where the OBR, the Office for Budget Responsibility, is predicting that unemployment will be reaching its peak is precisely the point when universal credit or the uplift to universal credit is disappearing. So at this time, when more people are going to need extra support because they've just lost their jobs and are going on to uh, universal credit, that's when universal credit is being cut. And it's been cut 
in this cliff edge kind of way, a drop, you know, an 80 pound per month drop disappearing overnight, that's going to affect many families that are struggling. And uh, it is completely unfair. And absolutely, he should have made it permanent. I mean, in this story we read on our website and in, in the paper this week, we um, quote you talking about the rise in corporation tax to, to 25% from 2023. I mean, this struck me as the kind of thing that church campaigners on tax and, and others like yourself would welcome. I mean, is, is that something you welcomed or was there more in the detail that gave you reservations? No, absolutely. We do welcome the increase to 25% on corporation tax. I mean, we've been campaigning uh, uh, on that for, uh, you know, all of our existence. Other tax campaigners have been doing it for much longer. There's been a, a problem, which I'm sure many of your listeners will know about, that there's been this so-called race to the bottom on corporation tax, where countries try and outcompete each other on how low their corporation tax can be. And uh, the inevitable consequence of that are tax havens with zero corporation tax rates. So uh, the increase to 25% is to be welcomed. However, and there are two big caveats to that increase on corporation tax. The first of those is that it's not being introduced for two years. So there's no immediate change. Now, some skeptics have suggested um, that actually the reason that increase has been delayed for two years is precisely because it gives the Chancellor some breathing space. And actually, in a couple of years time, it's going to be relatively, you know, not long before the next general election. And it's entirely possible that actually what we'll see is a reverse of that decision. So that increase to corporation tax is, in fact, never enacted, that actually what we'll discover as a kind of sweetener just before the election is that planned increase doesn't take place. So that's the first caveat. The second caveat relates to this rather technical point, but actually really important point of what the Chancellor called the super deduction. This is where corporations can deduct 130 percent of their investments um, to reduce their tax bill. Now, that measure is being implemented immediately. The, the corporations can do that immediately. But that is seriously problematic. It's going to slash tax bills for corporations. And actually, some analysis has come out just in the last couple of hours uh, from an organization called TaxWatch showing that for Amazon, it will cut their tax bill to zero. That super deduction of 130% will drop the Amazon tax bill to zero for the next two years. That is not the kind of measure that's really going to help our public finances over the next few years. I read today lobby groups for business expressing concern about the corporation tax rise, like the director of the CBI saying it would cause a sharp intake of breath for many businesses and send a worrying signal to those planning to invest in the UK. I mean, how do you respond to that? Is, is that the sort of thing groups like the CBI say every time that a corporation tax rise is meted? Yeah, well, I mean, it is. I mean, if you think about it, I suspect every business would like there to be zero corporation tax. But I want us to, or zero percent corporation tax. But I want us to think for a minute about why we have a corporation tax in the first place. Because it's not the government simply stealing the hard-won profits of these businesses. It's actually the businesses paying back the state for some of the infrastructure that the state has already paid for that has enabled their business to flourish. The only reason businesses can flourish is because they're surrounded by uh, physical infrastructure, roads, uh, electricity supplies, and so on. They also have an educated workforce that's available for them locally. And that has all been funded by the state. 
So when the government takes corporation tax, it's essentially taking back some of the money it has already spent to create the infrastructure that enables businesses to flourish. And so, yes, businesses or the CBI are always going to say whatever uh, corporation tax rate there is, that it should be lower than that. That's just their kind of default. But is it fair and is it right and proper? No, I don't think it is, because corporation tax is essentially uh, businesses paying back the state for services actually the business has already received. The, the Chancellor also announced £100 million, he said, to tackle tax avoidance and, and tax evasion. I mean, is, is that something you'd welcome? Or again, is, is there more in the small print? Well, again, at face value, I absolutely would welcome that. We have a major problem with tax avoidance and tax evasion uh, in the UK that's depriving the the, uh, public accounts of money that it needs uh, to fund public services. However, again, the small print on this, it seems to be that what that money is being directed towards is not the kind of uh, tax avoidance uh, that is um, perpetrated by the larger companies, but is much more specifically targeted at those who have uh, defrauded the Treasury in relation to the COVID support schemes. We're all aware that there have been a range of COVID support schemes, furlough, grants, loans, and so on. And the 100 million for tax avoidance tax evasion seems to be directed towards that kind of COVID fraud. Now, that's a good thing. If someone is defrauding uh, the state of money that it owes to the state, they should be investigated and prosecuted. But to limit it in that way seems to be problematic. And again, there was some recent research that shows uh, there seems to be an inequity or in the way that uh, fraud um, is prosecuted within the UK. Uh, another report that came out, I think it was just a week or so ago, showed that if you're convicted of benefit fraud, or, or prosecuted, I should say, for benefit fraud, you're 23 times more likely to be prosecuted than if you're pursued, successfully prosecuted, than if you're pursued for tax fraud. Uh, the number of resources we put into be- pursuing benefit fraudsters is much, much higher than the amount we put into tax fraud, and that's despite the fact that tax fraud costs us 10 times as much. So there's this inequity going on in the way in which we're kind of pursuing uh, different players in the system. Um, So yes, it's good, obviously, to pursue COVID fraudsters, um, but not at the expense of pursuing uh, the major corporations who are avoiding and evading tax in the UK. Do you have any sense of how much revenue is lost by not pursuing big business tax avoiders and tax evaders properly? Well, so, yeah, so this is debated in the tax justice community, or not debated, but I'm saying there's a range of figures. So the official government figures are around 35 billion is the official tax gap, uh, as in money that should be paid in tax that is not paid in tax each year. Uh, Some tax campaigners claim it's as much as 90 billion per year uh, that is not paid in tax that should be paid uh, that should be paid in years. So it's a real mixture. And I should say that those figures I've just given you uh, encompass both large businesses and small businesses and individuals who are avoiding uh, tax. The figure for large businesses alone would be smaller than that, but it gives you a sense of the size of figures available. Was there anything else on on tax specifically that was missing from the budget in your view? I know there was quite a lot about personal tax allowance and things like that. Yeah, there was the big gap for me, or there were two big gaps if I can mention them, is one is council tax. Council tax in the UK is a major problem. It hits 
the poorest communities, poorest families to a far greater extent uh, than the wealthiest families. Uh, if you're in the poorest 10% of the UK population, you probably pay around 10% of your income in council tax. If you're in the wealthiest 10%, you probably only pay one or 2% of your income in council tax. And actually what we've seen um, is in this budget and in the preceding statements, it's a 5% increase in council tax. So one of the most regressive taxes that we face, one of the taxes that hits the poorest the hardest has actually been increased. I would have wanted to see massive reform of council tax. We didn't see that at all. The other one in particular is reform of capital gains tax. Now, there is this going to be this tax day on the 23rd of March, where the Chancellor is announcing uh, some public consultations. Many of us hope that capital gains will be one of the announcements on that tax day. But at most, that will be an announcement of a consultation of a policy that may come into effect at some point in the future. What he hasn't done in this budget is indicate that he's planning to reform capital gains. And yet he really should, because it's one of the mechanisms the wealthy use uh, to avoid paying or, or to reduce their tax bill compared to people that earn their money through normal kind of work and labour. The Bishop of Birmingham expressed concern about the absence of any mention of social care in the budget. I mean, do you have any thoughts on why, I mean, this Chancellor was on Radio 4 today programme this morning saying that they're going to try and find a cross-party solution to that. I mean, social care is one of those areas that needs a lot of work, doesn't it? And and a lot of money put into it. And is this something where tax in particular could, re revenue is needed? I mean, do, why, why do you think the, the government is sort of not acting sooner on that? Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting, that interview that morning, because I don't know if you heard the follow-up later, which was that uh, Radio 4 had contacted the shadow minister to ask the question, you know, uh, has the government been in touch with you to, you know, discuss social care? And the shadow minister said, we've heard nothing whatsoever. And so it sounded like it was a bit of rhetoric coming from Rishi Sunak this morning, claiming that there's going to be this cross-party uh, commission or whatever it is, on social care. No, I think social care is a major problem. Actually, it's worse than just there was no announcement on social care. What there was, was an announcement of a 4 billion uh, cut in funding for public services, which comes on top of a 13 billion cut announced in the uh, spending review in the autumn, the 2020 spending review, which means in total that um, if we exclude uh, COVID-specific uh, resources, and if we exclude some of the kind of protected areas like the NHS and education, there's a 17 billion cut in funding. And where is that cut going to fall? Well, social care is probably the one where it's going to fall most heavily. And so it's not even just that there's no plan to try and sort out the social care crisis we have in the UK. Over the next few years, social care departments uh, are going to struggle to finance and provide the services that they already provide at the moment. I think social care is going to be, or the absence of adequate funding for social care is going to be a story that is going to run and run over the next few years in the lifetime of this parliament. And also that the chief executive of the Children's Society, Mark Russell, expressed, he, he said they were bitterly disappointed that the budget didn't mention children once. Um, did, you, did you share that disappointment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, 
Although having said that education is protected, it's only protected at the current levels. And so one of the problems is we all know every one of us who's a parent in this country is that our children have been suffering over the last year because of the lack of education or adequate education provision for them. Clearly, uh, it's gonna take a lot of investment and energy uh, for our children to catch up on the learning that they have missed. And so for the chancellor not to recognize that in the budget and not to announce extra money for education, then I think is really problematic. And this generation are going to suffer as a result. There is no question about that. I think I'd add to that, actually, uh, the wider issue of children's mental health. We know that uh, our children have suffered not just from an educational perspective, but also in terms of their mental health. And again, no extra funding announced for children's mental health. I think children have been let down in this budget, as have many other groups. Perhaps just finally, um, let's ask a bit more broadly about the work Church Action, Church Action for Justice does in, in lobbying. I know you had a report published recently, which was debated in Parliament. Do you feel your voice is getting heard both in the church and in government? Yeah, thank you for that. So um, we're currently running this uh, Fair Tax Now campaign uh, as Church Action for Tax Justice. And what we're trying to do uh, is highlight a number of different ways in which our current tax system is unfair, how we think it could be made fairer in order to address the poverty and inequality that plagues our society. And so the debate in the House of the Lords on our report was a welcome move in that direction. I mean, it was interesting that every single Lord uh, that got up to speak, including some of the Lords spiritual, I mean, the debate was um, called by uh, the Bishop of St Albans, um, every Lord that got up to speak spoke in support of our report and the recommendations that we made, with the sole exception, of course, of the government minister who responded, uh, who essentially just said, nothing's going to change in, 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 res in response to this. But what folks can do is we're trying to get people to lobby their MPs. So on our website, uh, in the Fair Tax Now campaign, part of it is a tool where people can pop in their postcode and just click send and an email will go off to their MP. And I'd encourage your listeners to, to do that and take part in the campaign uh, in that way. We often think about poverty in this country as um, an issue that needs to be addressed by the provision of direct services, such as food banks, for instance. And that's absolutely right and proper. And I absolutely would encourage folks to support that kind of direct provision. But at the same time, we need to address the root causes of poverty. And our unjust, unfair tax system is one of them. And so that's really what our campaign is about trying to get reform of that system, one of the real causes of poverty and inequality in the country. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode.